Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Big Ticket, Variety and iHeart's movie podcast. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. This week, I sit down with Lee Pace. The Emmy-nominated actor opens up about growing up queer, but first we talk about his portrayal of John DeLorean in DeLorean, a new biopic about the late automobile mogul. We also talk about a possible Pushing Daisies reunion, his work as Ronin in the MCU, and what happened when he and his boyfriend recently realized they were eating at the same restaurant as one of the young stars of Euphoria. I have that and a whole lot more coming up after the break. Stick around. Hey, y'all, what's up? It's Jess Hilarious, and I'm just making sure y'all know that I got a podcast called Carefully Reckless on the Black Effect Network. I'm going to be telling y'all all my business and telling y'all other people's business, too. It ain't no limits to the things I talk about. Y'all know that if y'all know me. From baby mama drama to healthy relationships, from child support to stimulus checks, Look, when you take a step back and you realize that we all go through crazy stuff and we got stories to tell, those situations do not define you, but they do make for a real good conversation. <laughs> In a world where clickbait and cancel culture can tell your story before you do, I'm creating an outlet to remind people that we still human crazy and we can all laugh about it. Don't stress over it. Bring your problems to me. I promise I won't judge you, but I might crack a joke or two. Don't be scared. It'll be respectful and messy at the same time. Just make sure you tune in. Listen to Carefully Reckless every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Here's Lee Pace. So how are you? Pretty good. Mr. Pretty Lee good. Pace, thank you for stopping by. Yeah, I mean, swallow my gum. Swallow your gum. <laughs> I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> there no i i choked it down there. i do the same thing <laughs> yeah i'm sure i've got a big ball of gum in my stomach that i've been <laughs> collecting since i was in high school <laughs> so let's talk about driven john delorean what did you know i think we all think we know something about john delorean what did you know beforehand well i mean i really only knew about the car right before i started work on him and i guess you're right i had a sense of you know, a scandal, you know, <laughs> there was, um, I had a very unclear idea of, of who the man was who made that car. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, when I dove into the research on him, I mean, he's just an enigmatic person who everyone's got a different story about, you know, who he was. And, and it's not really clear who he was. I mean, at least the movie, it's sort of like, okay, was he in on this? Was yeah. he not? I'm not going to talk about, I'll talk about something at the end so I, people could, like turn this off because I don't want to spoil it because I have a very big question um, and I don't want to spoil it. But so tell me, how does the research begin with someone like that? He's not alive anymore. Well, I mean, but the research began for me on the book he wrote himself mm -hmm. or had, had ghostwritten. But, you know, with, a, with, a, with someone like this, you really can't believe anything they say about themselves mm -hmm. nor anything other people say about them because he's such a kind of legendary person and enjoyed creating the legend about himself right. he had uh designed the gto and the firebird and he was you know going up the ranks at gmc and could have you know run gmc and he decided to go off on his own and create delorean motor company and he was young yeah he was young yeah, yeah. i mean but he, but he was i mean i think one of the first in this kind of modern age of celebrity ceos mm-hmm you know, right. which is such a specific idea of branding. You yeah, know? we could really get into that. <laughs> uh, yeah, we could. But it's like, yeah, creating a brand around your name and right. your personality. And, you know, he 
enjoyed doing that. Mm-hmm. He enjoyed creating that and kind of saw the the money inside mm-hmm. it too. Um, I think when it comes down to it, you know, aside from all that, he designed incredible cars, and he had, and not only that, he's you know invented things that that are in all the cars that we drive today. Really? Yeah, yeah. Certain ways the engines function, um, the airbags. That's that was something he well, developed. Well, in the movie, when he said to Jim, he's like, "Oh, have you heard about airbags?" Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, that's right. Airbags didn't always exist." <laughs> yeah, and like, and 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 manufacturing the cars using computers in the mm. way that it, you know it's it's done now in a very common way. But back in in the early '80s, that was really cutting edge technology. Right. They were trying to figure out how to, um, you know, produce cars in a in a in a you know in a bigger way like they do now. Um, so. You know, none of that stuff is the interesting stuff in this movie. The really interesting <laughs> stuff in this movie is is kind of what you can believe about this person and what you can't, because it's it's about the relationship between him and Jim Hoffman, mm-hmm. who is his neighbor in um, the house they had in um, in outside San Diego in Puma Valley, uh, and this kind of situation they found themselves in. Yeah. So, how does a man like John Delorean, who's obviously you know a genius is what he does, at least parts of it. Um, he's a smart guy. How does he get involved with this guy, Jim, who's just like this sort of two-bit criminal? Well, I think John is working on this a huge project that's taking him all over the world. Mm-hmm. You know, he's going to, I mean, there was a chance they were trying to get the project together in the United States. That wasn't possible, so they tried Puerto Rico, and then they managed to cut a deal with the British government to build a factory in Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um and so he was traveling all over the world trying to, you know, collect the pieces he needed to make this car. Um, but the place he really liked to be was this house that he owned in Poma Valley. Mm. Um, it's this, you know, comfortable, you know, nice house. And one of his neighbors was Jim Hoffman. And he would have parties at the house. And he, I think... The, what, what, from what, one thing is undeniable about, to me about John is that he loved life. He loved his life. Mm-hmm. You know, he loved his family. He, he, he loved interesting people. He loved interesting famous people. But he also <laughs> just loved interesting people, right. you know. And, I, and Jim was one of his neighbors. Their kids played together, mm-hmm. um, which also means they sat by the pool and drank beer together. Why their kids played together, so that's how we got to know this guy. That's how that's how we we figured it out in the movie that he knows this guy, um, and and I think the way they connected is that they're not really people who are interested in following rules, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. I think that there was a common thread that they found uh, of uh, you know just a disdain for the way things. You know, people who follow rules well, and the rules that they, having to follow rules that they didn't write. And <sighs> what I found interesting throughout the movie, there are there are parts where you're really rooting for John DeLorean. Mm-hmm. Then there are parts of like he'll just do this look, and you're like, oh my god, this guy has no scruples. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care. He's just he's going to do whatever he, whatever it takes to succeed. So I couldn't figure out if he was a nice guy bad guy it's, I guess it's just a mixture of all of it I mean I don't know anyone who's just a nice guy <laughs> right, or just right, a bad right, guy right. you know um, I think he's a fa- I think he's a fascinating guy but when I think about because I listen to these you know there are these really interesting recordings of 
meetings that he was, uh, you know, as he's designing this car. When you're designing a car like this, you're debating so many different things. The cost of a plate that will go under the gas tank, you know, that for every car that cost mounts, but it's a safety measure that you either choose to take or you don't choose to take. Mm So I think, you know, it's not up to me, but in the final analysis, I I think he's a pretty exceptional guy. Mm. You know, I think he's a... Um, an innovator and someone who puts new ideas out, out into our world, and and that's a pretty cool thing. Not everyone can do that, right? And then the big question was whether. So basically, what happens is he needs money mm-hmm. to finance his company. He tries to do it through a drug deal, mm-hmm. and now the question was whether he initiated the deal or he was entrapped. And I, the movie doesn't give a clear answer, and I don't know. Do we ever find out a clear answer? Uh, well, the, 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 he was, he, the case went to trial right. and his lawyer was able to, to, uh, to prove that this was an entrapment, that he was, that this wasn't something that he initiated, right. but something that had been, um, constructed around him. And there's lots of theories, you know, if you talk to DeLorean people about why that was the case, mm-hmm. this factory in, in, um, Northern Ireland was very, very expensive to the, to the English government right. and Margaret Thatcher had just gotten into power. Mm-hmm. So I doubt she was too pleased about spending that money on cars right. that were being shipped over to America, for, right. to the American market. Um, so who knows actually what really right. happened? You know, who ever knows what actually happens in these things? Right. You know, you kind of know, you understand the, the the version that is agreed upon at the end of it, but who knows what happens as they were, you know, sitting by the pool drinking beers, <laughs> you know. But the but he did have to come up with a chunk of money to keep the the company f- floating. A lot of money. <laughs> a lot of money. A lot of money in the early eighties. You know, a lot of money and. And he chose to do it this way, which I think says a lot about who he is, you know, to be mm-hmm. in this situation. Because the tr- the fact is he was involved in this drug deal. Right. He was sitting there in that room looking at the suitcase full of coke and thinking, right. well, that's, that's how I'm going to get the money I need to plug the hole so I can, you know, get a... Maybe, get, you know, do a, a line of the cars that have more colors in them, you know, <laughs> that maybe can appeal to a different, you know, a, other parts of the market. So they can just, maybe I can use the engine that I want to use as opposed to the engine that I had to use for right. manufacturing purposes, you know. There's, um, I think there are versions of this car that were, are, were in his head that we mm-hmm. never got to see. Right. And that's what he was fighting to get, kind of put out into the world. And famous yeah. for saying... You wouldn't buy a used car from me, would you? Yeah. But see, I feel like... But even towards the end of the line, he was still... No, he was still trying to get... Right. He was still designing cars. He was still, you know, trying to keep the business going. That's, you know... I admire him. I Hmm. like him. Hmm. I think he's cool. Did you try to get in touch with anyone who knew him? Um, It's amazing how many people had, you know... Encounters (laughs) Encounters <laughs> with John DeLorean. Um, and what's the most interesting story you heard? Well, I, I let other people tell the stories that that um, that, that you know firsthand stories. I, I need to really kind of go through my notes about that. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, the, the the general feeling I had was that people were pretty dazzled by him. Mm-hmm. You know, were pretty impressed by. Um, the presence of who he was. I mean, he looked like a movie star. Yeah, and yeah. I think he could, and I think he just had this force of, of. Um, 
charisma mm-hmm. and you know just presence about him that people believed in mm-hmm. you know and he had a and he was capable of a lot he was capable of not only designing these very complicated machines that you know needed to be safe needed to be reliable mm-hmm. needed to um you know take people from a to b sometimes that distance is very far mm. that's not an easy thing to do you know <laughs> and that's we're all put it we all put our faith i don't know i know simply you know the, the basic way a car operates <laughs> but i don't know how my my car operates I no i like you know they're I, so look, complicated now it's and even like, like when i was a kid and my dad would do things on the car like you know change the oil i wouldn't know how to change the oil in my car yeah. It's also I have an electric car, so I guess I don't have. To yeah, change so it like the other electric cars, it's all computers <laughs> yeah. now. I don't. I mean, <laughs> I know. Like I said, I know basic things about them, but I don't know how they run now. And so, that's there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts in creating right. a machine like that and making it affordable so mm-hmm. that we can all buy right. it. You know, and he's been a part of that. Not to the, the you know the the sum of total of John DeLorean is not this story. It's you know the creating the gto creating right. like putting a big a big engine in a smaller you know car that's the create the idea of a muscle car right. that's there's a glamour to that yep. that it still is i mean all those mm-hmm. cars we we still get excited when we see them yeah so tell me about getting into character literally the wardrobe the hair i mean that you have to walk differently when you're you know it's the early 80s it's sort of the end of the 70s yeah, I, I, I mean, I find myself do playing lots of characters where I look very different than myself. And you get, I, you know, when you get in, when you're trying to get into character, you're thinking, oh, well, I'm gonna, you know, maybe walk like this, or you know, I'm gonna find, you know, these gestures are interesting to me. But then you, um, the pieces come together, and mm-hmm. it kind of does it for you, like the way people behave around you, did, you know, does it for you. Um, that's what that's what I found with him. I mean, the clothes are so specific, so specific, and you the know. dancing and the music. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so specific, and that hair. I mean, it's like that's so. What What's it like when they put? You know, do they just plop that wig on you? Do they check different wigs because it's the hair is almost iconic? Because that's what I. I mean, listen, I was I was a kid when all of this went down, but I remember the white hair. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the hair was something. I mean, when Nick called me about playing the part initially, I was like, I don't know, Nick. I'm 20 years <laughs> kind of too young to play this right. guy. I don't, I mean, our eyebrows are kind of similar, but beyond <laughs> that, it's, <laughs> we're both kind of tall. But, um, was he 6'5? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He was very, very, yeah. And like, like sturdy man, you know? Um, so you put so, that wig on. Yeah, we, so we we tried the wig out. There was a there was we tried to do a chin, too. <laughs> so I've got a, the pictures I have of 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 that makeup test. Uh, thank God we decided against doing that chin because it would have been a very different movie. <laughs> <laughs> He's fa- he was famous for having plastic surgery and giving himself a chin. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess people so really called him more of a chin. Well, I was yeah. I was gonna <laughs> give yeah. I was gonna give. I felt I felt like I wanted to change the way my face looked in a way that ultimately it's like it just became a distraction. Right, you right. know, it was just uh, it was you know one thing too much, um, but. 
you know, Nick was game in, in letting me kind so of explore it. that <laughs> avenue, but the pictures are pretty ridiculous. I mean, it was a lot <laughs> like this. I, I looked like, um, I want to say one of those Hanna-Barbarian uh, Barbera <laughs> villains in the, in the, um, that great race. Yeah. <laughs> um, tell me about the Johnny Carson voice. Is that really Johnny Carson's voice? Oh, you have to ask Nick. I don't know if that's actually Johnny Carson's. I'm sure they. Is that? Do you know if it's Johnny Carson's voice? Yeah. Um, I don't. I mean, it you know, sounded I did, exactly sounded like, like him, and I'm yeah. like, did they spice stuff together? But I they were know. friends. You know, that's yeah. that's a that's a moment that really happened. Johnny did um, kick in some investment money, wow. um, but that car was a lemon. Those first cars that came off were unreliable. Right. They didn't, and they were, you know, not everyone could fix them. Mm-hmm. So that was part of the part of the downfall was that they didn't they didn't work. Know, perform <laughs> quite as well. They didn't go as fast as you know as quickly as he said right. they would. And um, but uh, yeah, that's one of my favorite moments in the movie because I think it kind of shows John's showmanship. Right now, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Lee talks about being a part of the MCU and gives us an update on a possible Pushing Daisies reunion. He also opens up and gets candid about growing up queer and what he learned about himself after playing a closeted Mormon in the Tony-winning revival of Angels in America. Stick around. Hey, everybody. This is Jake Brennan, host of Disgraceland and the 27 Club. I want to talk to you about another podcast that I produce called Blood on the Tracks, The Phil Spector Story. Blood on the Tracks, The Phil Spector Story is a 10-episode look at the madness and genius of record producer Phil Spector. Phil Spector and the music he created shifted and shaped American culture. But behind his famous wall of sound, there was a darkness, violence, and an intense inferiority complex that those who knew him and worked with him were all too familiar with and that led to the senseless murder of actress Lana Clarkson. With Phil's recent death in the news, Blood on the Tracks has become all the more relevant. Just like Phil Spector, this podcast sounds like nothing you've heard before because you can't push the needle into the red without leaving a little blood on the tracks. Listen to Blood on the Tracks, the Phil Spector story on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, more of Lee Pace. So let's talk about a different role that's completely different than John DeLorean. Mm-hmm. Ronan. Ronan. I mean, yes. you're in that superhero world. I know. It's so different. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm a proper alien. <laughs> like, really, like, you're blue. Like, I'm you're blue. not just an alien. You're a blue alien. Yeah, the alien warlord, accuser. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty fun... Uh, turn of events in my career. <laughs> so I was at, like I said to you earlier, I was at Comic-Con mm-hmm. and they announced the MCU for basically the next 50 years or so with all mm-hmm. their plans. Will we see Ronan come back? I don't know. I would happy. I'd be happy if they asked me back because I love, I love uh, being a part of the MCU. I love playing that character. Why is um, that? Um, I f- look, there's, here's what I find so fun about the MCU is that there's, They've created an environment where actually anything can happen. 
anything can happen. Mm-hmm. You can the story can go into space, the story can go back in time, the story can it's like actually anything can happen. <laughs> You know? That's why, you know, when things when things will happen at the MCU and someone's like, well, that can't happen. But I'm like, oh, it just did. <laughs> like, we're not talking about real rules here. Yeah, I think that freedom is creative, you know, just creatively interesting, you know, and that and it connects to the audience in such a in such a profound way. Um, mm. I enjoy the movies it's such a fu- it's just like it's a fun ride to be a part of i, have I mean to it's say. pretty amazing too i mean um obviously we cover the mcu a lot here mm-hmm. in variety um and the diversity and inclusivity that mm-hmm. the mcu is doing it's pretty amazing yeah like it's i've learned a lot more you know studying stan lee and stan lee was all about diversity mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. why do you think that works in the superhero world um gosh what a great question um because it has to work Mm. you know i mean it's it's i think it's it works in i think the superhero world of that we live in today but i guess that's not the case it's always Mm -hmm. been you know a part of what marvel has done but um It's certainly what I think people are interested in seeing now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just didn't, I don't think that that the narrow view that existed um, in the past in that movie world, it, right. you know, it just doesn't. It's not interesting. You know, how it's not how interesting is it in the sense of you do have you know MCU or whatever any movie that's or TV shows, and it's all about representation. It's all about diversity, and then you have this apparent sector of the country that doesn't want to see any diversity is it is the is the political fights causing the art to react um well i I think so because i think you know when this when it comes down to it this is storytelling and this Mm -hmm. it's like a direct line back to sitting by the campfire right and telling stories and exchanging values people want stories they want to hear human stories they they want to hear human stories and they want and and they use those stories to exchange their values Mm -hmm. you know when you tell a joke you're really there's an exchange of values about this is really what i see in the world you know if you tell a joke about a greedy person then the point of view is we don't like that guy, right? right. Like <laughs> that guy's greedy. Let's let's get let's let's stay away from him. You know, let's keep him away from power. <laughs> you know, let's make sure he doesn't get to the you know the the meat before everyone else. <laughs> um, and I think and, and so I well, you know when you see Marvel telling these stories, it's it, it's a uh, it's about their creativity, but it's but it's also I think about that conversation that's happening and. Mm. It's resonating with so many people, not just in America, but around the world. Right. Um, I mean, we live in a global world now. Yeah. It's it's no longer just a, an American conversation. It's it's a global conversation, and therefore a diverse one. Um, and I think it's an awfully exciting time to be alive. Oh, you know, yeah. to see all that. You know, to be and to be. It's a privilege to be a part of that conversation taking place. So will we see a Pushing Daisies reboot reunion something? 
I would love Kristen to see that. Kristen Chenoweth just said it the other day. What did she, she say? She wants it. She wants oh, it. Oh, well, me and Brian are always scheming about it. Whenever we see each other, we're like, oh, God, wouldn't it be great to get the gang back together and do something? He's got, I think he's got a really fun idea for the story. Oh, so you got, okay, come yeah. on. Tell I can't say, no, he's the, he's the storyteller. He's the storyteller, but we have, we'd have to get everyone together. It would be so fun to do it, though. Why, why do people love this? My husband loves that show so much. When yeah. I told him I was interviewing you today. Oh, that yeah. means so much to me. Tell him thank you. For me. I, mean, <laughs> I had such a great day. It was such a great time in my life when I shot it. Why is that? I don't know. It was just um, I moved out to LA to do it, and it was. I mean, I drove onto the Warner Brothers lot every day, like right on Gate Two, <laughs> with those like palm trees and mm -hmm. the studios going through. So it was just such a a privilege to be a part of it, and like Ned was. A good character. I mean, mm -hmm. that's it's like couldn't be more different than Ronan the Accuser. To be honest, <laughs> I mean, it's like you just you, you go home feeling good when you play a character right. like Ned. Anna Friel getting to like, look into her eyes and and play that love story was just so much fun. Yeah, it was great. It was really creative and and uh, you know yeah it was a, that was a show I think that you know you really felt like anything could happen. Right. I got. I remember doing press for that show right when we. We're trying to launch it and trying to explain people <laughs> the rules of Ned's powers. <laughs> that he could touch a dead person back to life, but if they live for longer than a minute, then someone else died. And if they touch them a second time, then they died for good. Did I get that right? Is that I think I that's think about something it. like that? Yes. <laughs> You're still trying to. Yeah, I'm still trying it. to like figure out a like the uh, the way the way to the way. I mean, to you've been it. part of these cultural zeitgeist moments. I mean, I think people forget you were in Twilight. Yeah, Twilight. Twilight. That was a fun one too. I mean, um, that's covering the Twilight phenomenon. Yeah, it's not still not over. Is it? What do you mean? It's just the Twi fans are still out there. Oh, oh they're still they're, <laughs> <laughs> they're still obsessed with the movies. Yeah, that was so fun. I made friends for life on that one because we we shot that big battle scene mm -hmm. on. Um, in this ag barn in um, in Baton Rouge, most of the year they would use this space to auction cattle. But they, <laughs> they, they, they covered it with this big white piece of um, cloth or something, and then for months we were standing there in the snow, <laughs> oh. standing off against the looking very pale, looking very <laughs> pale in our contacts, and <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, that was the, that was like this this insane kind of portion of my career where I went from doing that to going to New Zealand to play um, the Elf King and the Hobbit, <laughs> and then going to London to do um, Ronan the Accuser. So it was that's a lot of makeup. It was a lot, a lot of, of it. I mean, I was, I, it was a vampire, an elf, and an alien kind of all in this chunk of time. But then Angels in America. I saw you in Angels in America. Oh, did you see that? Oh, I thanks did. so much for checking that out. That I was... mean, that's... My husband and I went specifically to New York to make sure we saw it before. Oh, wow. Did you see it all in one day? One day. Yeah, that one was day. the way to do it. I can't even... I, like, I have so many questions about it. Just doing that all in one day how did you sort of go home at night and just go oh. it was the most confronting difficult experience i've mm -hmm. ever had doing this job why is doing that? that play well it's that play it's the play that tony wrote mm -hmm. it's 
you know, I get chills now looking mm-hmm. like goosebumps. Just even thinking about the experience of playing that character. Um, because I didn't, I've never had an experience like Joe Pitts. You know, I mm. don't have the, the mother he had. I didn't grow up in the religion that he grew up in. And, um, or the time that he grew up in, mm-hmm. you know, and to kind of walk in his shoes mm. was just hard, hard, mm. you know, it was, it was hard to do that in front of an audience. And when I would start that first scene with Nathan, where he's mm-hmm. on the phone and stuff, it's like, I mean, it's such a incredible, I mean, if I, if you would have told me when I was in high school that I would be on stage on Broadway with Nathan Lane, I would be like, <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. Um, but I would get to, you know, get to start that, you know, that big marathon with him, you know, every, every day. But then, you know, you do the first four hour play, go away for dinner and then come back and I would mm. end the play, you know, kissing his ghost. And right. you just felt like, God, we've been through war together. And it's not just us, the actors on stage, but everyone in that audience right. too. Because right. every show is different. Every show, you know, mm. turns in a different way. Um, the audience acts different. You know, you're different. The other mm. actors are different. Um, it was hard, but I learned about life in a way that I've, you know. But that's, you know, a great piece of writing like, like Tony wrote, I mean, there's just, I've been thinking about that play since high school. So to get really? to, yeah, yeah, yeah. So wow. to get the chance to, 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 to play that character in it was, I did not know how hard it was going to be. I tell you that. How important is it as a queer man to tell those stories? I mean, it's personally, I feel like I learned about myself in ways that I didn't, like you just don't, you don't get the, you know, you get, you walk in your own shoes in life, you know, and I've always felt very um, safe, Hmm. you know, I've was in the drama department in high school, I went to Juilliard, it's like, to be queer, I mean, and, and you know, it's like I've, been playing queer characters my my first movie I played a trans right. character so it's like I've just never I've never felt the danger of that you know mm. so to, 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 to walk in the, the shoes of someone who the danger is so real that he can't utter it 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 taught me something about myself and about that about my community mm. you know that it's like we're not all so lucky to be no to get the free pass in life. We're not. No. You know? And now, you know, now politics, there are politicians who are using us as a scapegoat. Yeah. Are using us as, you know, a political division. Yeah, and also as a community, we can be very unkind to each other, I mm-hmm. feel like. You know, it's a very judgmental and kind of look at someone and be like, well, you you know, you ought to have done it like this and stuff. And right. that's just not, you know, there's, there's, um, there's a more gentle way to be. Mm. You know, and I and I and I guess when I before I'd played Joe, I could look at that character on the page and think, you know, you know, what a coward and stuff. But I but after playing him, I don't see a coward. He had a journey. He had a journey. journey. I see someone who did something that was very, very hard to do and something that 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 most queer people do. Right. 
you know, have to figure out how to shed their skin. Right, and in a different time, and also a different time. I mean, just a completely different time. Um, You know, it's the beginning of the epidemic. Yeah. What gay man was going to run around and say, look, I'm gay. It was very few and far between. I, I tell you, I got chills again just thinking about it. It's like that, it's that, that play was like a lesson in life, mm. you know? It was so beautifully done. Yeah, it was a privilege, privilege to be a part of it. So what do you want to do next? Do you want to work with your neighbor, Jessica Lang, oh reading god. that interview? I would oh my god. die to work with Jessica. <laughs> oh my god, I would love, love, Did love you ever think you'd be neighbors with, with Jessica Lang? No. <laughs> oh, talk about one of the most inspiring, coolest people mm. I've ever, you know, had the, <laughs> the chance to meet. I mean, she was so good to me when I was building that house across the, the field. <laughs> I love. She the must story. have thought I was insane. Well, I love this story you told about the coyote coming up to your tent. Yeah. <laughs> oh my my husband and I, we lived in Sherman Oaks. Okay, not uh-huh. the country, but to me, a city boy, that's the country. And I, this comes back to Twilight, actually. So <laughs> I'm in our kitchen, and my, we have two dogs, and they're going nuts. And I look outside, and there are coyotes. But I don't know what coyotes are. I thought they were wolves. So I yeah. call my husband. I'm like, oh, my God, it's the wolves from Twilight. And he's like, Mark, they're coyotes. <laughs> yeah, no, coyotes are very clever. I see them a lot now. Um, yeah, I always think it's kind of a lucky thing to see. There was one time I—I I don't know if this was in the story. I know I told the story when I was doing the, when I was talking to Jessica. I went to the the farm one time in the middle of winter, mm-hmm. and um, and on one of the ponds there was just this huge bloody mess. This doe had. Yeah, you tell. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. But tell me. Tell oh me. yeah, tell no, me, no, me. it did. No, it did. It. I guess just the coyotes had chased it out onto the ice and. Mm. She slipped and fell, and they just tore to pieces. Yeah, we had two little out. white dogs. We were like, one of the reasons we moved to the valley was to have a backyard to let the dogs out. Mm, and yeah. as soon as we took, there were people on our street who were walking their dogs with tasers, billy clubs. Really? <laughs> yes, because the coyotes, they're fearless now. Yeah, well, they will be. And they'll also, they'll do this thing where they'll send a bitch in heat out mm. to the houses to kind of yip and call dogs oh, wow. to come to come out to the come come out come be with us we're having so much fun out here in the woods (laughs) what is next for you what should we look forward to more stage tv movies what do you want to do i don't know i'm kind of um more ronin looking for something um interesting to do yeah yeah that's that's kind of where my head is right now how often are you reading scripts all the time i mean i'm looking hard i'm um to do something you like tv i do i think it's i think it's i i don't i like the opportunity to get to tell a story over a long a long chunk of time and there's so many more options now i mean yeah streamers it's every day i'm getting a tip sheet or a press release about a show and it's like it's in its third season i'm like i didn't even hear of this thing i and it's know in its third it season. i know it and they're so interesting are you watching euphoria yes isn't it phenomenal yes it's intense it's intense but i'm watching this and i'm just thinking not only is it gorgeous and the music is incredible and every single one of those performances is just pitch perfect um me and matt saw maddie um at a restaurant in venice yesterday so matt wait maddie 
Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> no, Matt's my boyfriend. Okay, we saw Maddie, the actress who plays Maddie oh, got it. at okay. a restaurant, <laughs> and Maddie's one of my favorite characters on the show. Oh, right. I, so did you did you fanboy? What do you do? I was too nervous too. I'm too shy. I'm too shy. But I definitely was like, there she is. <laughs> I think that show is so so good. What else are you watching? Uh, when they see us, I thought was fantastic. But yeah. the um, Chernobyl. I thought was I haven't watched exquisite. it yet. Everyone says just really intense. Like you got to be in a certain mood. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I hear that. Yeah, I hear that. But it, it's so stylish. Yeah. It's so incredibly stylish and so smart. I mean, it, it's about a science that I know nothing about, and I love that kind of thing. So mm. to hear it explained in a dramatic way, I was like, "This is fascinating. This is fascinating." And it shows a kind of level of heroism mm -hmm. that is not glorified just the way people were dealing with that right disaster it just told all of these small stories of individuals rising to the occasion you know when there was shit going down <laughs> <laughs> mr lee pace so, you're amazing thank you so much thank this you. is awesome I this was great i appreciate it that was Lee Pace. Thanks for listening to The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Coming up next week, Milo Ventimiglia, the Emmy-nominated star of This Is Us, stops by to talk about his new movie, The Art of Racing in the Rain, and so much more. In the meantime, make sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Mark Malkin. See you next week. Hold up. 